0: I'm going to start with a reading of a verse. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Psalm 133, 1. You know, it's good to be with all of my brothers and sisters this morning. I'm wearing a mask today because my, my outside, because my wife has been sick all week. Um, she doesn't have COVID and she didn't get me sick, but I just want to make sure I'm not transmitting to you. Um, so I'm going to ask the deacons to come up later and pray for you if, if you would like prayer. Um, my my sermon title today is to to look up and not look down. In our text in Luke 9:49 through 56, the the disciples you'll see will be starting to express feelings of superiority over another, and and they actually oppose that person because of it. And then Jesus offers. Redirection to the gospel, which will help them dwell in unity with their brothers. Beloved, my own sinful feelings of superiority to other people is something that can keep me from receiving people the way Jesus does. When I feel superior, it makes me less kind. It makes me less gracious towards other people. And those feelings can actually keep me from reaching out to other people in, in conversations and, and potentially leading them to a gospel conversation. And if I'm honest with myself, my own feelings of superiority are born in my insecurities and in my fears. See, there are always people that are going to look better, um, have better education, be wealthier or more popular than all of us. And it's my own securities when I run into that that, or, or my feelings of superiority of somebody that I look down on that stops me from engaging them sometimes with the gospel, sharing God's love with them. See, the reality is I tend to be more comfortable talking to who I consider to be an average Joe, like me. You know, people who basically believe the same things that I do, people who dress like I do, people who talk like I do, people at the same socioeconomic status as me. I, I tend to feel more comfortable with people who are like me. And it's uncomfortable to try to connect with someone who's different from me. It takes more effort. I have to be intentional about it. It can be risky because I could be rejected and it requires me to be humble and face my own failings and my own securities. It requires me to be willing to be uncomfortable. It's much more comfortable to sit above people pridefully looking down or looking up at them and being insecure than being humble. See, what makes me get out of my comfort zone and and go fishing and connecting with people is remembering that Jesus loves me and what he did for me. And that pushes me to either come down off my pedestal or to come up and to somebody else's level and work to connect with them. My default state, though, is comfort zone. As people, I think we all are in a default state of comfort zone. Human beings seem to find comfort in being tribal. We often feel superior to other people because of what tribe we choose to identify with. You know, today, if we look around our world, you will see many tribes where people are identifying with each other that are actually dividing us from others. Sometimes we feel superior because of our tribe of political affiliation. And right now, our nation is deeply divided Along party lines. See, religiously, we can also feel superior to or superior to others because of our particular doctrine or because of our particular ideology. There are some that feel superior to others because of their sexual preferences. There are, are those who feel superior just because of where they live. Suburban people often feel superior to city people, and city people, vice versa. There are those who feel superior because of their family origin or their race. There are others that feel superior because of their gender and others who feel superior because of their economic status or their intelligence or their level of education. Today we have politicians on both sides who f- further this identity, feelings of superiority between groups by pitting one group against another to gain their power. Our current president is not new in doing this, but I'll use him as an example. When he took office, he promised to bring us unity as brothers and sisters, as Americans. But this week he said he was irritated and he was losing patience with those who think differently than him about how they care for themselves. And then he basically mandated them to comply with him by threat or else. In essence, he made one group of Americans think the problem was the other group of Americans... Making enemies out of each other. And like I said, that's not new. Both sides of the aisle do that. Will will condemning one group's ideology and mandating their behavior lead to our unity as a country? You know, someone convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. It seems like all politicians on both sides seize power by playing on the insecurities and fears we have as people, driving us into certain tribes, certain tribes of opinion. And then these tribes we feel safe and superior because of our perceived numbers. And then we feel justified in our power of oppressing Another brother. You know, in the Great Commission, Jesus told us to go make disciples of all nations. Friends, that's all people groups, all tribes, all opinions. But it's our own feelings of superiority or insecurities as his church that often keep us from accomplishing his mission. We, we seem to be more obedient to our comfort zones, to our ideologies, than actually loving our neighbors as ourselves. Instead, we seem to only love our neighbor who is like ourselves. That is not why Jesus came. That's not what he commanded us to do as his people. So today... I want us to look up at his word instead of looking down on somebody else so that we as 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 the brothers and sisters in Christ can set an example of what unity is again in our country. Open your Bible to Luke 9:49 through 56 and and let's learn from someone who came truly to love all In verse 49, it says, John John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. Now, (laughs) John's disciples had been arguing about who among them was the greatest. And Jesus told them to be great. Instead, they need to remove all worldly status and become like a child. Because a child in the first century represented someone without status. The child was an object lesson, representing someone who was unable to force others to comply with their will because they had status or power in the world. The child represented Jesus himself, someone who looked instead dependently up on God, not looking down on men and women, feeling powerful in their ideological groups. In the kingdom, Jesus says, the one who is least is the one who is great. Beloved, we are all to look up to God and not look down on others. Success in God's kingdom is emptying yourself. The truth is, when you have a high opinion of yourself, Or whether you have a low opinion of yourself, you have the same problem. You're full of yourself. By focusing your mind on your opinions, not God's, you are either looking down on others instead of up to God, or are you looking up in fear of the opinion of others instead of God? See, John and his disciples became insecure here. When when someone else cast out a demon that was not in their group, they were insecure because Jesus said they could not cast out a demon because they didn't have faith. Instead of hearing what Jesus said and emptying themselves like a child and having more faith, trusting in God, they took the more comfortable way. They complained about their brother, and they tried to stop him by force from effectively living out his faith. The problem was he was not doing it their way, even though their way didn't work, right? The problem of investing yourself in your identity, in your ideology, is that you will seek to control others instead of try to be better. The gospel instead is meant to free us this man was freeing people from demons through the power of Jesus' names. Some They were freeing people the disciples could not free because they were arguing with each other and they were arguing with other groups like the scribes instead. See, being superior to others became more important to them than the mission of Christ. Faith in Christ, friends, is not a religious group. In which we identify and feel prideful so that we feel better than others who are not in our group. The message and mission of Christ is to free all men and women from the power of sin, death, and Satan. The power is not in the group. The power is in the message and in the person of Christ. Beloved, you are not saved because you're in the right group. You are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. Friends, we all need to ask ourselves and get honest. Are, are, Are we trying to stop ourselves and others from sinning because of the gospel that we preach? Or are we trying to free them from sin through the power of the gospel we preach? If we're just trying to conform others to our rules, to our culture, to our way of doing things, it's us feeling superior and we are spreading a religion and not the good news of the gospel. A question we need to ask ourselves as we share the gospel, are we trying to free people Or fix people. If we're just trying, attempting to fix people, we'll try to make them to be like us in our group. We have given them the wrong standard. Us. Instead of Christ. The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians 5.13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom. Freedom. As an opportunity for the flesh. But through love. Serve one another. The flesh will try to control others. Because of our religious pride. But Paul says through love. Serve one another. Serving each other is what reflects the gospel. Jesus came to serve us by dying for us. By his love. Not to control us. Because he was superior to us. He did not force us to become sinless Jewish preachers like he was. Instead, by his love, he freed us to be what God intended us to be, children of God. Brothers and sisters, when we're free from the bondage of sin, we are able to love God and we are able to love each other. We are not to be warring tribes fighting over things that our flesh, yet many today who name the name of Christ are warring with each other over doctrinal or denominational differences or differences in cultures or practices. Sometimes we say our, our identity is I'm Catholic or I'm Baptist or I'm Methodist or Presbyterian. If we do that, we're seeking to conform others, in a sense, to a superior way of doing anything. This loyalty to groups, instead of the gospel, can hinder the work of the gospel. Instead of people receiving freedom in the message of the gospel, they become more enslaved by the way we act in particular group think. Faith. In a doctrinal statement, can't save you. Only faith in what Jesus has done can save you. But we can also be prideful about our affiliations, finding status in them as if that's what matters. But didn't Jesus say, come without status, come humble like a child, totally dependent on God? We need to come to God poor, and needy, and dependent on his work alone. Not the work of our pet doctrines. And I'm not saying the doctrine is not important. It is. But better doctrine doesn't make us more deserving of salvation than anyone else. If you have perfect doctrine, that won't make you perfect or sinless before God. Only faith in the work of Christ's love for you will perfect you. Yet often people lift their doctrines and their affiliations above the cross. At Crossman's, you will be taught doctrine because it's essential that you know the truth. But our faith has to be in essential things and not non-essential things. Justification or forgiveness through the work of Christ alone on the cross by faith is an essential belief. That doctrine is a close-handed issue. We don't compromise on that doctrine because it makes Christ supreme. But in our faith, God has made us all different. And there are open-handed issues. There are things other believers either have a different conscience about, they have a different practice in their life, or they have different views and opinions on. See, unity is not created by uniformity, by us all being the same. Unity is created by holding on to what's important, what's essential. And that is having grace with each other about what is Non-essential. We don't fight against each other as believers for non-essential things like traditions or style or practice or, or status because that would hinder people or, and distract them from the gospel, from God's ultimate work of love for them. The Apostle Paul said this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk... In a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility. And with gentleness. And with patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. Friends, we need to be humble where we disagree with other believers. And bear... Bear in love our differences over non-essential things. The gospel is the greatest expression of love. How, how can we possibly divide with one another and then represent it accurately to the world? See, our flesh is eager to divide because we like to feel superior in our opinions. More superior and important than others. But if we say we follow Jesus' gospel, we must be more eager, more eager to maintain unity and be united in love. We need to avoid being eager to be divided into warring tribes. Then Paul gives us the essentials to our calling in the gospel. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ. We all only have one hope, friends. That's Jesus. There is one leader, Jesus. There is one thing that saves our faith in what He has done for us. We are baptized or immersed into unity with each other by having peace with God through the love of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because He is supreme. And that makes us one. Equal in status as brothers and sisters. No one group, no one race, no one religion is superior. His grace is what gives us status in His kingdom. And it's given to us as a gift. So how, how can we feel superior when that gift is measured out to him by his love? How can we feel superior to anyone else when the gift is not based on any performance of our flesh? By grace, you may have been given a greater understanding of what that gift is than other people. But that understanding does not make you any greater than the gift itself. Paul says this, When he ascends on high, he led hosts of captives, and he gave gifts to men. See, that's why we must look up and not lock down. We're all just prisoners. Friends, we're all broken. We're all captive to our sin without the work of Christ. So we must look up to him on high for his leadership because we are all dependent on his gift. How can we condemn one other criminal thinking we're superior to another? His love, friends, is the only thing that can set us free. Why is it so important to hold on to the gospel of his grace as supreme. Why is that so important? Because many in the church today are looking down on one another. And we are becoming divided by our tribalness, our tribal attitudes. We have replaced gospel with nationalism. And partisanship often as American Christians. And, and, and what is to be one body has been splintered into many warring groups. We often are fighting over non-essentials to the detriment of the work of the gospel. And so we become combat ineffective in the real battle of freeing captives because of this feeling of superiority to one another in our political or our social ideologies. We use those to justify hating and condemning even one another, which is opposed to the gospel. In our country, white evangelical culture... Culture has aligned itself often more with being Republican or conservative than with Christ. Often black evangelical culture has aligned itself with being Democratic or liberal instead of Christ. These identifications with our ideologies divide his church. It's created barriers to the true work of the gospel. Freeing captives. We end up perverting the gospel to all that we share it with. Jesus was no liberal. He was no conservative. He's not Republican. He's not Democrat. He is one Lord of all. Ask yourself, What is superior Christ or your political ideology or affiliation? And before you answer too quickly, test yourself. Do you share His gospel with those who have different political ideologies than you? Do you have relationships with others that have different ideologies? than you. Do you accept people to accept your political or cultural ideologies in order for them to receive the gospel that you're preaching? Or do you simply consider others fellow prisoners of sin like you that need to be set free by the gospel? What do you broadcast most often on your social media? Your superior political and ideological opinions that divide us, creating barriers to the gospel? Or do you broadcast a gospel of grace to all who are captive of sin? One approach will show the world how to be unified in love As dependent children of God through Christ, the other approach is expressing superiority of one prisoner who is captive to sin, saying he's better than another because of their ideology, which is absolutely hypocrisy. It's blasphemous to the gospel. Of Jesus. If what you're posting to the world is looking down on someone instead of teaching them to look up to Christ, we need to repent. See, you may feel right and righteous in your moral cause, but we must remember no one is saved by eliminating. Sin through morality. Friends, we are saved when Christ destroys the power of sin on the cross. So how can you look down on someone else morally and condemn them no matter how right you think your cause is? When we look down on people because of their political or social or religious ideologies, that can only lead to death. But if we point them to Christ and His gospel, it leads to life. See, in Numbers 21, the children of Israel were sinning against God. They they became impatient with God. And they started speaking against God and their brother Moses. They they they, they were they were judging God and, and and they were not being grateful to them and they were They were, they were coming against Moses. And so God sent fiery serpents who started biting people and many started to die. And the people cried out to God for mercy and God gives it. He tells Moses, make a bronze, bronze serpent and and, and put that serpent on a pole. So everyone can see it. And then all people had to do when they were being bitten by the fiery snakes was to look upon the bronze serpent and they would live. They didn't have to get their acts together. They didn't have to start obeying the law. They simply had to look upon the bronze snake with faith. In the mercy of God. Jesus compares himself. To that bronze snake. In John three fourteen through 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent. In the wilderness. So must the son of man. Be lifted up. That whoever believes in him. May have. Eternal life. There's no exclusion there. See, the reality is we've all been ungrateful to God. We've all spoken against him. We've all spoken against our brothers in our opinions and disobeyed his law. It doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, whether you're a northerner or a southerner, whether you're a redneck or Ivy League educated, whether you're male, female, or however you define yourselves, whether you're a masker or an anti-masker, whether you're a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer, whether you're pro-life or pro-life, pro-choice, whether you're a one-percenter or a welfare recipient, as his people of this earth, We are all dying, perishing in the desert of our own sin. And friends, the only thing that will save us is not those ideologies, but when we look up to God for mercy through Jesus Christ. Friends, are you going to block... Another one from seeing him because you're standing on high with your superior opinion or superior party? Or are you going to lay down with them and humbly look up to Jesus? No moral moral ideology can save us. Only looking upon the cross of Christ will save us and keep us from perishing. You know, after Jesus said he was like this bronze serpent in the desert, he declared the Father's love for all people. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. Beloved, do you believe that verse? If you believe that verse, then why would you be part of dividing our world into warring gangs instead of unity and love through the gospel? When Jesus' own disciples tried to have their little exclusive group Jesus said in Luke 9.50, Do not stop him. Do not hinder him. For the one who is not against you is for you. Sometimes when we have a lack of grace for others, we actually lose sight of the grace of God for ourselves. You know, when I was 10 years old, I desired to know God, and I even started to serve him in the church. But then I saw adults in my church being unkind to one another in the parking lot of the church, fighting with one another, and even flipping each other off as they exited. And I allowed their hypocritical lack of love for each other to block me from seeing the love of God it became an excuse for me to wander off into the desert of my own sin for 20 years where I began to perish. And that happened because I looked down on their wrongs and that stopped me from looking up to Jesus. You know, two days, t- two decades later, I-, I heard a man preach about Jesus' amazing love for all people. That he loved sinners like me, because I was a mess. And he said one thing that opened both my heart and humbled me to receive God's grace. He said, Ken, if you let the hypocrisy of other people Keep you from loving God. Who's the real hypocrite? In my innermost part of myself, I knew he was right. My pride. Has stumbled over their pride. And I lost sight. Of Jesus. And his love for me. My own sense of righteousness had led me away from God's true righteousness in the gospel. Jesus said this in Luke 11, whoever is not, whoever is with me, whoever is not with me, I'm sorry, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. What Jesus is talking about is being united with him in unity of purpose through the gospel. See, John's disciples were physically with Jesus. But the man they disagreed with was more united than they were to Christ's purpose. He had the faith to cast out a demon. The disciples even though they had more knowledge of Jesus, they had more experience with Jesus. They didn't share Jesus' mercy the way the man did. They found power and authority being part of his group. And the disciples were scattered in their allegiances. And they aligned themselves with the enemy, arguing with one another, trying to block another from grace. Verse 51 says, When the day drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. When It says Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was setting his face to go and die in love for people. His purpose was to humbly suffer and die on a cross to display the mercy of God like the bronze snake in the desert. But Jesus didn't only show mercy in the way he died. He did it in how he lived with people. See, Samaria was a place where no self-respecting Hebrew rabbi would go. Most Jews, when traveling, would walk all the way around Samaria rather than be defiled by walking near those people. People. Jews felt that Samaritans were so low in their status. Because during the exile in Babylon, the Samaritans had been left behind and, 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 and they were not as educated in worship. And so their worship had become corrupt. The Jews hated them. In return, the Samaritans disliked the Jews. But Jesus' face was set to be merciful to both. In mercy, knowing that the Samaritans would reject him as a Jewish rabbi, he sends messengers ahead with his gospel to prepare hearts to receive him. But the people in Samaria did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Even though Jesus' gospel was not exclusive to Jews, they rejected it because he was showing mercy to the Jews. They rejected his mercy because he came to die for a group that they hated. Friends, there are many who stumble... And reject the gospel because they're stumbling over their pride. They're stumbling over their pride because ultimately they know Jesus is offering mercy to their enemy. The Samaritans wanted a God who would only love them and would destroy their enemy. They rejected a God who was determined to be merciful to their enemies. Their hatred towards other actually made them forfeit God's mercy for themselves. Friends, the truth is, because of our sin, we're all enemies to God, and yet in love, He's still determined to go and die for us. But a gospel of grace offends men's pride because we desire to be superior to our brothers and sisters and sit in judgment over them. When his disciples, James and John, saw this happen, they said, Lord, Do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? James and John felt superior to Samaritans because they were Jews. And the rejection of Jesus' mercy offended them so greatly they're willing to kill them all. They are determined to help Jesus deal with these infidels. And they offer to help the one who actually said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. Hey, Lord, do you want us to destroy them for you? They are so misaligned with Christ's mission, they actually think they can be helpful to Jesus By subverting his whole life purpose. Jesus turns and rebukes them. What angers Jesus is not the villagers rejection of his grace. It was his own disciples rejecting the purpose of his life, the purpose of his father to give grace to others. The disciples had heard his teaching daily on mercy. Jesus had declared to them his mission of mercy to go to Jerusalem and die so that he could redeem us from our sins. All of his words, all of his actions had been merciful to them in humble gratitude. They should have been gracious to their Samaritan brothers. We don't exactly know what Jesus said to rebuke them. But if you read in the King James Version or in the footnote of other translations, on verse 55, it might give us some insight. On my Bible, there's a footnote. And it says that in some ancient manuscripts, not all of them, it records this, and Jesus said, and you know what manner of, sp- and you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. Now, Bible translators didn't put that in because it wasn't in every manuscript, and they wanted to be accurate. But that statement fits the situation. It fits Jesus' purpose for life. Because John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son to the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The disciples' condemnation on even those who rejected Jesus opposed Jesus. In their demonizing and condemning of their brothers, they had become demons. They aligned themselves with Satan. And they thought they were serving Jesus. But they were serving the enemy. They were looking down on brothers with judgment and condemnation instead of helping their brothers to look up to God for mercy. Friends, why would we condemn a condemned man? Jesus didn't come to condemn the Samaritans. The Samaritans were already condemned. His purpose to come down was to set them free, to save them. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus' name means love and mercy. Both the Jews and the Samaritans were two condemned groups of people condemning each other because each felt more righteous Than the other. But feeling more righteous did not change their sentence of condemnation before God. Verse 56 says, and they went on to another village. See, Jesus didn't waste his time condemning people who were already condemned. Instead, he was determined to show mercy And just simply went to another village in hopes that that village would receive his mercy. When we as Christians condemn those who reject Jesus, we're not on his side. We're not representing him. We represent him when we show love and move on and share the gospel with someone else. Today, I hope you will receive his gospel and follow his way of mercy and set your life according to his purpose, because Jesus has conquered our greatest enemies. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death, and he's conquered Satan by simply the power of his love and goodness. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave and he's still alive today. Looking up to him will give you life. Looking down on others Will lead to all of our destruction. Beloved, I hope as a people we would repent and lead the world to Jesus in unity and love in the gospel. For that is where life is. It starts with us. Jesus wasn't angry at the Samaritans because Samaritans were just being Samaritans. When we condemn people in the world, they're just being people of the world. They don't know better. We are the ones that know better. God's word says, If my people who are called by my name Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Our land needs a healing. And friends, we who know Christ can't be like John and James. We must be like Jesus. And lead the way. Let's pray. Father God. I thank you. That before the foundations of this world. When we had rebelled against you. In love. You set your face. To die for us. Lord, if there's anybody here that thinks God is there to condemn them, may they repent from that false opinion and believe the true opinion that God has always had his face set on redeeming you. And may they turn to him and find his love and mercy and grace. And may they look to him and continue to pour out his love to others. Let them know his salvation. Let them know his love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Eric, would you come up and be available for prayer?